Americans don't get much holiday. Doesn't look like your grandma's home yet, Connor's father said, pulling up the rental car in front of her house. It sometimes goes back to the hospital after I go to bed, Connor said. The nurses let her sleep in the chair. His dad nodded. She may not like me, he said, but that doesn't mean she's a bad lady. Connor stared out of the window at her house. How long are you here for, he asked. He'd been afraid to ask before now. His father let out a long breath, the kind of breath that said bad news was coming. Just a few days, I'm afraid. Connor turned to him. That's all? Americans don't get much holiday. You're not American. But I live there now, he grinned. You're the one who made fun of my accent all night. Why did you come then? Connor asked. Why bother coming at all? His father waited a moment before answering. I came because your mom asked me to. He looked like he was going to say more, but he didn't. Connor didn't say anything either. I'll come back though, his father said. You know, when I need to. His voice brightened. And you'll visit us at Christmas. That'll be good fun. In your cramped house where there's no room for me, Connor said. Connor, and then I'll come back here for school. Con, why did you come? Connor asked again, his voice low. His father didn't answer. A silence opened up in the car that felt like they were sitting on opposite sides of a canyon. Then his father reached out a hand for Connor's shoulder, but Connor ducked it and pulled on the door handle to get out. Connor, wait. Connor waited, but didn't turn around. You want me to come in until she gets home? His father asked. Keep you company? I'm fine on my own, Connor said, and got out of the car. The house was quiet when he got inside. Why wouldn't it be? He was alone. He slumped on the expensive settee again, listening to it creak as he fell back into it. It was such a satisfying sound that he got up and slumped back down into it again. Then he got up and jumped on it, the wooden legs moaning as they scraped a few inches across the floor, leaving four identical scratches on the hardwood. He smiled to himself. That felt good. He jumped off and gave the settee a kick to push it back even further. He was barely aware that he was breathing heavily. His head felt hot, almost like he had a fever. He raised a foot to kick the settee again. Then he looked up and saw the clock. His grandma's precious clock, hanging over the mantelpiece, the pendulum swinging back and forth, back and forth like it was getting on with its own private life, not caring about Connor at all. He approached it slowly, his fists clenched. It was only a moment before it would bong, bong, bong its way to nine o'clock. Connor stood there until the second hand glided around and reached the 12. The instant the bongs were about to start, he grabbed the pendulum, holding it at the high point of its swing. He could hear the mechanism of the clock complaining as the first B of the interrupted bong hovered in the air. With his free hand, Connor reached up and pushed the minute and second hands forward from the 12. They resisted, but he pushed harder, 
hearing a loud click as he did, so that didn't sound especially good. The minute and second hand sprung suddenly free from whatever was holding them back, and Connor spun them around, catching up with the hour hand and taking it along too, hearing more complaining half-bongs and painful clicks from deep inside the wooden case. He could feel drops of sweat gathering on his forehead, and his chest felt like it was glowing with heat. Almost like being in the nightmare, that same feverish blur of the world slipping off its axis. But this time he was the one in control. This time he was the nightmare. The second hand, the thinnest of the three, suddenly snapped and fell out of the clock face completely, bouncing once on the rug and disappearing into the ashes of the hearth. Connor stepped back quickly, letting go of the pendulum. It dropped to its center point, but didn't start swinging again. Nor did the clock make any of the whirring, ticking sounds it usually made as it ran, its hands now frozen solidly in place. Uh-oh. Connor's stomach started squeezing as he realized what he'd done. Oh no, he thought. Oh no, he'd broken it. A clock that was probably worth more than his mom's whole beaten up car. His grandma was going to kill him. Maybe actually literally kill him. Then he noticed. The hour and minute hands had stopped at a specific time. 12.07. As destruction goes, the monster said behind him. This is all remarkably pitiful. Connor whirled around. Somehow, some way, the monster was in his grandma's sitting room. It was far too big, of course, having to bend down very, very low to fit under the ceiling, its branches and leaves twisting together tighter and tighter to make it smaller. But here it was, filling up every corner. It is the kind of destruction I would expect from a boy, it said, its breath blowing back Connor's hair. What are you doing here? Connor asked. He felt a sudden surge of hope. Am I asleep? Is this a dream? Like when you broke my bedroom window and I woke up and... I have come to tell you the second tale, the monster said. Connor made an exasperated sound and looked back at the broken clock. Is it going to be as bad as the last one? He asked distractedly. It ends in proper destruction, if that is what you mean. Connor turned back to the monster. Its face had rearranged itself into the expression Connor recognized as the evil grin. Is it a cheating story? Connor asked. Does it sound like it's going to be one way and then it's a total other way? No, said the monster. It is about a man who thought only of himself. The monster smiled again, looking even more wicked. And he gets punished very, very badly indeed. Connor stood breathing for a second, thinking about the broken clock, about the scratches on the hardwood, about the poisonous berries dropping from the monster onto his grandma's clean floor. He thought about his father. I'm listening, 
Connor said.